2: All right, we're going to get started here on the uh, Sooners Extra uh, Twitter space for uh, Tuesday, September 20th. Thank you, thank you all so much for joining us, whether it's uh, live or uh, uh, in recording or uh, on the podcast later. Uh, first of all, we're going to start off reviewing. Hopefully, we'll have uh, Barry Trammell and, and uh, Jenny Carlson uh, here in a little bit. Uh, Jenny might be uh, uh, 10 or 15 minutes, but try to. Uh, talk for the next 30 or so minutes on uh, Sooners football, what we've heard over the last couple days from Brent Venables, uh, Ted Roof, uh, Jeff Lebby, and and some players uh, last night. And then, uh, uh, you know, what what we have seen uh, throughout the first uh, three games of the season. Uh, Justin got to start off with uh, this week. OU versus Kansas state and, and Brent Venables, Going against his alma mater as head coach for the first couple times. He talked a little bit about that today and his relationship with Bill Snyder, uh, what he learned uh, from them and, and what uh, from him and what his, their relationship is like now. What to, to you was maybe the most interesting thing that came out of uh, Brent uh, talking about uh, facing his alma mater for the first time? You know, to me, I, th- I thought it was interesting that, you know, we hear uh, Brent Venables talk about getting. Uh, a text message from uh, Brent from Bill Snyder uh, after the game the other day. After he reached out before the game, just to get some uh, tips about uh, going up to Lincoln and in that atmosphere. But uh, it said after the game, Bill Snyder texted him and said, basically, "Hey, uh, congratulations on being three and zero. Now get to work at being four and and0 And then about an hour later, Bill Snyder came back and said, eh, "You know, except except for this week." Uh, obviously, Bill Snyder going to be rooting uh, for the Wildcats uh, this week, but certainly wants uh, Brent Venables and the Sooners uh, to be successful. He sort of talked about being uh, that this is uh, just another game for him in the way that he's, he's treating uh, the approach, but also uh, realizing and, and recognizing what he took away from Kansas State, both uh, during his time as a player, and uh, his time there as an assistant, he said one of the biggest lessons he learned from Bill Snyder was uh, how to treat people and and making them feel like he's important, they're important. Uh, talked about being in in position meetings and uh, staff meetings and um being asked for input or or asked asked to uh, ask questions, and he said that Bill Snyder even when Brent Venables was, you know, the low man on the totem pole talked about uh being uh talked about Bill Snyder being very open to uh to input to suggestions taking everything seriously even if uh, maybe the the person who was saying it uh you know wasn't uh, somebody who you would expect uh to to offer that input so um certainly uh a l- little bit uh of an insight into the way that bill Snyder ran things and the way that he uh went about
1: uh, things but uh we'll see hopefully we can get Justin here uh yeah you, you could tell by the way Brent was talking about him today and you know it's come up multiple times um since he got the head coaching gig here uh coach Snyder's definitely a guy that he he turns to for advice and definitely values his his opinion and his experience uh a lot you know the the story that he was saying about um the nebraska game i'm sorry i don't know if you had already mentioned that when i cut out um or not did you already have, yeah had, i talked
2: uh, to talked to a
1: little bit about it oh with, okay uh, the the advice and uh, the uh don't do it this week yeah yeah definitely but um but yeah i mean that's that's just really cool the relationship that he's able been able to maintain with them um, um, I'm sure it's going to be something that'll be on his mind when uh, when they go up against K State uh, this weekend.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. But there's plenty to talk about about this game, about uh, the, the game that we saw last weekend, Justin. First of all, uh, looking uh, backwards at, at Saturday's game, you know, you you look at obviously the the score, the way that uh, the the Sooners. Uh, we're able to just dominate that game and and just take control there. Uh, gosh, what scoring? Uh, what was it? Uh, six, seven touchdowns and nine drives at one point, uh, holding uh, Nebraska on uh, what was it? Eleven uh, straight drives, twelve really. Uh, I know one of them was the end of a half although that one wasn't uh, exactly uh, a short. They had six plays there. So 12 straight drives to uh, uh, keep Nebraska off the board. Just a, uh, a, a great performance for the Sooners on both sides of the ball, but especially, I thought, defensively to just continue to show how much growth this team has, has gone, gone through uh, on that side of the ball. And I think it was interesting – listening to Ted roof yesterday a little bit, but mainly to Brent Venables today, talk about the uh, the mindset of that defense and the way that they've, uh, they've approached things, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, going through this first part of the season.
1: Yeah. You know, it sounds like the main thing that that roof was talking about is that they, they play to a standard at OU, not the scoreboard, you know? And so, That's why you were saying towards the end of the game, when obviously this game was essentially over by, you know, second half, start of the second half. um, The team was still locked in and and not giving up much defensively. Um, And I think that's definitely something that they're going to be able to build off of. You know, it would have been nice if they were put in a more, you know, um, difficult situation where it's a close game down the stretch and they have to respond. But at the end of the day, this is something they can build off as well. You know, just – the amount of focus that they showed for the full 60 minutes. Um and like you said, I think the defense was probably um, that's probably the side of the ball that you point to the most and say, you know, that was a really strong performance. Um whether it was the new guys that were chipping in, like like Jaron Kanaka comes in and uh gets 10 tackles, force fumble, recover fumble. Um General Luala got involved on the defensive line where Obviously, the defensive line has already been good this season, but it's nice seeing you guys get in the mix there um, and start to contribute. The secondary getting Key Lawrence back in there. He has the forced <laughs> fumble, the interception down the stretch. I mean, the group just in general, really strong performance. And most importantly, it was until the uh, the final seconds bled off the clock there. So, yeah.
2: It, yeah, you know, I, I thought Key Lawrence was fantastic. Actually, actually uh, doing – uh, my rankings I do every week, top five players of the week, and uh, I had Key Lawrence as the top defensive player uh, last week. Just for one, you look at his PFF grades, it was fantastic 91.5, um, which was the, the OU's highest defensively so far this season. Um, was, was really good in coverage, especially, and just, just added uh, an extra dynamic to that secondary that, uh, you know, they missed a little bit while he was gone. Didn't hurt him much on the scoreboard or anything, but, uh, certainly, uh, wanted, uh, to, uh, get him back in there. And then, you know, the other thing that really stood out to me about what I was talking about Brent speaking on uh, the defense, uh, and we'll bring in, uh, Jenny uh, Carlson right after this, but, uh, was talking about how their mentality had been, uh, their psyche had been scarred up a little bit he said uh you know uh, knowing that they were to whatever degree scarred up and maybe didn't have a lot of faith in themselves and, and to talk about the way that that's turned around just in these last uh you know 10 10 11 months or so but or 10 months or so uh but certainly you see the difference in this defense now versus uh a year ago jenny
0: yeah, I think that's a good point, and I uh, I hadn't really, um, you know, I don't think we'd heard that sort of thing from from Brent this year. But you know, I think that that's right. You know, there there had been a lot of, um, I, mean, I don't know about finger pointing internally, but externally, definitely, people wanted more, wanted better from the defense, and probably some internal finger pointing, to be honest with you. But you know, to come in and to have had, uh, you know, three games against you know I I think we can all agree opponents that you know they're going to be tougher opponents down the line than the three that Oklahoma's already faced but to have some defensive performances where they were really able to sink their teeth into a team and um, hold them at bay I mean I think that that shows some huge development obviously on the uh, x's and o's and the physicality and all that but the mental side too you know those guys give up a touchdown to start at Nebraska and. You know, the Cornhuskers march right down the field and you start to think, well, you know, maybe this is where the wheels start to fall off a little bit. I'm sure there had to be maybe some of those thoughts within the team, within the players themselves. But then to react like they did and play as well as they did the rest of that game. I think it just speaks to some of the mental changes that have happened that, you know, maybe aren't as obvious to those those of us on the outside. But we're going to start to see some evidence of it as the season continues to play out.
2: Yeah, no doubt about it. That uh, th- this this defense certainly has been playing with a confidence that we just didn't see uh, the the last few years, and I, I think we'll continue to see that manifest itself in uh, you know tangible ways uh, a- as the season moves on. Because you could see, even though the competition wasn't uh, you know the greatest over the first couple games, and, and heck, wasn't the greatest in uh, the, the third game either, although Nebraska's offense had been uh, pretty good uh, to that point, you can still see some of the fundamental changes that have made this defense uh, you know, so much more effective. We had a chance to talk to Woody Washington on Monday night. He talked about the, uh, uh, the various ways that they're blitzing and, and bringing pressure that's a, a lot different from what they did a year ago. A year ago, he wasn't asked to do that much uh, from, from his position. There at cornerback, you know, we've seen him be much more involved in in that side of uh, the game through the first couple weeks. I think they'll continue to do that. It's just a a much more broad defensive scheme, a much more varied defensive scheme than what we've seen over the last few years. And I think it's certainly paid off to this point. Now, they're going to get some uh, tougher uh, assignments here moving forward, heck, it'll start getting a lot tougher this weekend when they face uh, Deuce Vaughn in, in Kansas State, even though Kansas State's offense didn't look very potent last week in that loss to Tulane. we OU fans know what Deuce Vaughn can do. They've seen it happen against the Sooners. They saw it happen last year when he had that monster uh, receiving game. But, uh, it, you know, it's it's clearly a better defense uh, than than what we've seen over the last couple of years, um, uh, Justin wanted to uh, uh, go back to you for a second about that defense. Um, we got a chance to see Deshawn Wa- Deshawn Watson, Deshaun White, and that's not the first time I messed it up, unfortunately. But I'm, glad
0: I'm not the only one to do that, Ryan.
2: <laughs> yeah, I really need to be be careful about that one. But Deshaun White was really good early in Saturday's game, which was a, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a, 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 an encouraging sign uh, for, for the Sooners, given the way that he played sort of unevenly over those first couple weeks, but um, gets ejected for targeting. Um, Jaron Connect comes in there and, and performs uh, really well, I thought, in his first really extended uh, a- action there. Uh, but you know, what did you make of, of both of those guys? And, and what do you think about
1: that position there, the cheetah position here moving forward? Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, Deshaun was on his way to one of the better games of his career. You know, he was up to six tackles in the second quarter. There had a broken up pass as well. I think one of those tackles was for loss too. So, I mean, he, he was playing really well, made a mistake. You know, that's something that he talked about yesterday. We got to talk to him. Um, and he had said that, you know, it's just a matter of keeping an eye on his pad level, making sure that he's uh, tackling the right way. And it's something that he thinks is very correctable. Um, so, yeah, he, he was on his way to a really strong performance. Unfortunately, he goes out. But then also really encouraging was the way that Kanak that played. I mean, 10 total tackles to come in there as a freshman road environment, a traditional rivalry game. There's almost 90,000 people screaming at you from the stands i mean he went out there and delivered forced the fumble and recovered it as well um so really encouraging just for the depth of that position um and you know it's a position that the whole team is really still kind of figuring out because like you said it is the cheetah position which is it's new it's a hybrid role that requires a lot from the guy who's able to play it so to be able to have someone like like jaron come in and, and contribute you still got guys like Justin Harrington as well, who you figure will get some time at that position as well. Um, you know, I just think overall what you saw from that group um, against Nebraska has got to be an encouraging sight.
2: Yeah, no no doubt about that. Jenny, going to the offensive side, though, um, we saw Eric Gray have another really good game, both when he got the ball in his hands uh, you know, he had 113 yards, two touchdowns on 11 carries, added a couple or uh, one more catch uh, there. Uh, are, are we seeing this guy develop? And, and uh, you know, Marcus Major has been really good again, had a touchdown the other day, has four touchdowns for the season, caught the touchdown also from Brain Willis. Are we seeing Eric Gray, though, evolve from a guy who, just has a skill set that they really like and they really like to throw him out there on the first play of the game and, and such first drive of the game into a guy who can, even if he doesn't have to certainly every game, but can carry the load when he needs to.
0: Well, I definitely think what we saw in the second half against Kent State and then uh, against Nebraska were, were definitely positive signs. You know, that first half against K- Kent State, sorry, I'm having K- <laughs> State Kent State problems this week, against Kent State, was concerning, you know, I mean, Oklahoma trying to establish the run and failing fairly miserably against a team that you would think they would not fail miserably against. So uh, definitely uh, once I started throwing the ball, saw that change, um, but for them to be able to get the run game going um, when they wanted to at Nebraska, I think that was, that was big. I do think that, um, you know, I think Eric Gray is going to be helped, by two things fairly substantially one having a good sidekick and if Marcus Major can continue to get you know a decent amount of carries I don't know what that number would ideally be but you know if he can get some carries and make it so that Eric Gray doesn't have to get every yard that they get on the ground that will be big because Eric Gray is undersized for an every down back to me that's been the biggest question mark with him is his size can he hold up with the amount of hits, um, with the physicality, you know, is he big enough to handle that at his size? So having Marcus Major or whomever, um, you know, fill that, that uh, sidekick role, I think is big. And I think the other thing is, is the offensive line making sure it gives him a chance um, because he's not, he's not a guy who, for the most part, is going to run over a would-be tackler or somebody that is standing waiting for him Uh, in a running lane you know he if he can have some room to operate that's when he can be at his best so he needs he needs that help and that's most running backs that's true they like to have a number two and they need to have a good offensive line but I think the fact that Gray is a little more undersized probably ups the need for both of those things to be uh, pretty solid but then if he if those things are, are, are going then I think it gives him a chance to be really successful because he has shown He's got some talent. He's got the skill, um, the vision, the elusiveness, all of that sort of thing that you'd want. Um, I just think it's magnified and improved at um, that line, and you know, a helpmate can uh, be there along the way for him.
2: Yeah, ju- Justin, sticking <laughs> with that offensive line that, that Jenny brought up. You know, what what did you make of their improvement with Wanya Morris out there? We saw him play the majority uh, of the game on Saturday, and certainly. Look like uh, they got settled in in a way that they hadn't through those first couple games.
1: Yeah, I mean, anytime you're able to bring back a a senior, a starter, uh, one of the leaders of of a group, it's it's going to be really big. So I mean, just his return definitely something that you would hope will will help this group continue to trend in a in an upwards, uh direction. You know, we got to talk to Wanya yesterday, and he was saying that you know he had some growing up to do um, from those off the field issues that caused him to miss the first two games. So, uh, he really just took it as those two weeks off is really just a, a chance to kind of do some self-reflecting, you know, he was still still able to practice with the team, work out with the team, be in the meeting rooms with them, uh, which I think definitely helps, you know, prevent too much rust from, uh, from building. But yeah, I mean, he, he looked good. Um, you know, he was able to play 56 snaps, according to pro football focus, uh, 67.2 was his grade. Um, so I think was his highest since he was at Tennessee. Um, thanks for providing the stats for that, by the way. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he looked good out there. It's definitely going to be nice to have him out there um, just to help with the group continue to, to trend in the right direction, which they have so far. You know, it seems like they've gotten better every week, and that's even with all these things that have been going on as they continue to rotate guys around and stuff but it's definitely something they can build on as a group for sure. It wasn't just that uh Juannie Morris gets plugged in there
2: and all of a sudden everything's great. Um at in the offensive line, you know, McKayd Matower, I thought played his best game uh of the season uh, to this point by far. He was the 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 number one rated uh offensive lineman for the Sooners by PFF. Morris was number 2, uh but Anton Harrison played really well and it just felt like that group uh, came together uh, in, in a way that they really hadn't uh, through those first couple games, and we'll see if that's able to continue uh, against a team Kansas State that can make life difficult uh, on you up front. Jenny,
0: yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a great point. You know, uh, K State defensively, you know, they're gonna they're gonna try to. I'm going to try to control that line of scrimmage, and I think that's where, when you think about games that have been close between these two programs over the last couple of years, it's because K State has, in large part, had the physicality on both sides of the ball to, uh, you know, to make games interesting at least. So, you know, that's where they're going to try to to inflict the most damage, if you will. Against Oklahoma's plans, both offensively and defensively. So, yeah, if the offensive line can build on what they did at Nebraska against K-State, you know, I, and I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying it's the best defensive line that Oklahoma's going to see. I think you know Baylor's defensive line is, is going to be tough. Oklahoma State's defensive line it looks stacked. So there's some teams left on uh, the the roster. Texas defense obviously playing well. I think you got to probably start looking at the defensive line there. There's teams left on the schedule that are going to be tough but K-State will definitely demand a high level of play from that Oklahoma offensive line but I think you got to you got to like what what you what you saw out of Oklahoma against Nebraska for no other you know reason than I I my sense is that Nebraska has has at least built up some some size and some physicality in the last couple of years you know Scott Frost obviously fired for things that did not go well but i think a lot of nebraska fans felt like that they at least upgraded some of, of, of their line positions um uh, maybe weren't where they need to be exactly but i think those were areas that they you know a lot of people felt decent about so you have to think that that was you know not not a not a bad group that oklahoma saw on saturday up in lincoln although the result would indicate overall it was i think that that was a pretty decent test for oklahoma offensive line and definitely uh for all the switching and for, you know, some, some lacking moments in, in some of those first two games, I think it was definitely uh, less the case on Saturday against Nebraska.
2: Yeah, it absolutely was. And we'll, we'll see how that translates here uh, moving forward. But, uh, Jenny, want to, to, to stick with you uh, as we turn our attention to, you know, one of the big topics of today, which is uh, the future of the Bedlam series. And I, I don't think that the report from, from Brett McMurphy was anything that uh, was unexpected by those of us who were you know, around the program uh, and, and things and talking to people that involved. But were you at all surprised at, uh, to, to see that report and the way that it was uh, laid out today?
0: Um, I mean, I think this is kind of the way that the talk has been trending in regards to Bedlam, Um, you know, over the summer, big 12 media day, you know, we heard Mike Gundy and I can't remember if Chad Weiberg was asked about this, but Mike Gundy definitely said, Hey, listen, you know, we, you know, we have to be mindful of, um, you know, how we're structuring our schedule. If we've got, you know, 10 conference games, what are we, what are we going to do with our non-conference? What do we have available? What hasn't been, already, uh, uh, you know, signed a contract for, those sorts of things. So definitely not uh, having a very uh, wide open door policy on, you know, what could come of Bedlam. So, again, just kind of adding up to, you know, this seems like it's probably not going to happen. I was a little surprised to see with really no finality in OU's move to the SEC um, for that to be something that was fairly definitively talked about, though, by the um, uh, ADs, um, you know, I kind of thought that it would take the, you know, OU's exit date before that sort of thing would become, you know, seemingly final. Um, although I do think it's interesting. One thing I'll bring up is uh, a couple weeks ago before Oklahoma State's opener, um, I asked Mike gundy about Oklahoma State playing on Thursday. They like to play home openers on Thursday before Labor Day, and he got to talking about you know how the um, how the TV partners, how the broadcast partners direct a lot of that and and that's true and then he said something that really interested me he He made the made the comment that if in these realigned conferences as conferences are talking to broadcast partners, you know could the broadcast partners, and it sounds like the way he was talking, it absolutely could happen that a broadcast partner might say something like, "Now, if Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play, this base number would jump to whatever. If we, if, you know, if if the conference, they could guarantee that matchup every year for ten years, that TV contract would go up by whatever amount. Um, you know, if Texas, uh, I mean, I whatever, whatever sort of." Um, you know, matchup you want to say um, in this realignment, Uh, whether it's one of those California schools, obviously they're both going in tandem to the big 10, but you know, if there's another um, Pac-12 school that either one of them feels compelled to play, um, you know, something along those lines that the TV people think could get good numbers if they would agree to that, could it mean a bump in that number? So I, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm slightly surprised at the timing by this by this talk today. I'm not surprised that this would possibly be the resolution to all this, but I'm also not thinking that it might be over because of some of those comments about broadcast deals and what broadcasters might try to work in. Um, so I guess maybe what I'm saying is I'm holding out a very small shred of hope that Bedlam's not actually dead.
2: Yeah, I think eventually it could be revived. I mean, but you look at the future schedules and it's just, it it gets pretty tough, especially on OSU's side. I think what OSU has, uh, their schedule is full through 2028 with the exception of one spot in, in 2025. And then in that year, they've also got uh, a, a game at Oregon. So I think it'd just be really hard to, to fit it in. OU has a little bit more openings. You know, when you look at, uh, some of their their future schedules, uh, you know, they filled the one for next year with the Georgia game dropping out with SMU. They do have an opening in, in 24, uh, but and, and then in 20, 27 and beyond. But I think it's just going to be really difficult in the near term when you t- talk about this move happening, which I anticipate in 24 or 25. Um, I, I just think it's going to be really difficult for that game to find a home uh, fairly quickly. I, I think eventually, hopefully people will realize what they're missing here with this and both sides will decide to uh, bring it back. We'll see if that happens, but I think it's going to be really difficult uh, in the near term, at least to make that happen. What, what about you, Justin? What'd you make of uh, the report and just uh, how things stand bedlam wise here in uh, you know, uh, getting to this point in the uh, conference move over.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely agree with Jenny, just based off of everything that we've been hearing for the past few months, you can kind of get the idea that it was trending in that direction. But I mean, it it is unfortunate, you know, Brent didn't really give too much insight into his feelings on it today, but he did say that just in general, he understands the value of these rivalry games. Um, And is a fan of just the rivalries in general for all that it means for the sport, um, and then just even like from talking to fans and stuff, you know, I, I did an article when, when this news first broke um, a few months ago about OU's move to the SEC. And just on both sides of those OU or OSU fans, they were both saying that, you know, they hope that this rivalry would be able to continue because it does mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, so you would hope that eventually later down the line they would be able to, to bring this rivalry back. But like you said, it is going to be tough with the scheduling. Um, so it's just something they're going to have to keep an eye on. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because clearly you can tell that it does mean a lot to a lot of people.
0: Here's one thing I'll, I'll also add, guys, is that I, I guess maybe my, my feeling about contracts and future games has been a little bit skewed by pandemic-era football because, you know, we've seen games that got scheduled in a very short amount of time. We, we've seen, you know, we've seen games get put off. We've seen games get added. Um, I think it's just said to me that, yeah, those long term deals like schools intend to keep them. I get that. But if somebody said, hey, let's play Bedlam, let's make it happen. You know, I have to think that it would it would work, that there would be a way to um, delay some sort of um, future contract. If it opened the door to something like that, you know, and yes, there might be money involved. But guess what? If they play after they're not in the same conference they're going to get paid some money for that. So yes, it might cost them something, but they're also going to reap something uh, in that regard. So um, I, it will be interesting to see if it's able to be finagled in there somehow, or if we do have to wait a while. But again, I guess my, my perception of what's possible has changed in recent years as, you know, games have gotten scheduled in, you know, days literally in some instances over the last couple of years. So um, again, I'm still holding out my hope that, that it comes back at some point.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll see if that uh, eventually happens. But hopefully, like I said, hopefully uh, people on both sides get to their senses a little bit and, and make this thing happen eventually. Just, uh, you know, I think as much as OSU fans want to punish OU for leaving uh, the, the conference, as much as OU fans, uh, you know, some among them at least want to sort of step away from that and uh, make a clean break. I think it's better for the state if those two teams are playing and hopefully they'll uh, uh, figure out a way for that to happen. But uh, let's wrap it up here with this. And and, uh, Jenny, I'm I'm looking in our picks. I see you've made your pick uh, for the week, Justin. I'm not sure if you've uh, made yours yet there, but uh, we'll, we'll start off with Jenny just to give Justin some time to, to to think about it there for sure. But uh, Jenny, What's your pick for this
0: weekend, and and how do you foresee this game going? Yeah, I've got Oklahoma winning, and I I picked him to win by a decent margin. I think I went thirty one seventeen, thirty one thirteen, something like that.
2: Thirty one to thirteen.
0: Okay, there you go. Um, my my thinking is, I didn't see much out of that K State offense last week, and I I know that you know when it comes to a Big Twelve game, a Big Twelve road game, an opponent that is you know, ranked highly, you know, motivation may look a little bit different than it did last week again, against uh, Tulane. Sorry. I almost said Kent state. I'm completely (laughs) Kent state is everything this week for me, for some reason. Anyway. um, But that offense is, is worrisome to me. I was on the K state bandwagon a little bit after their first two games, their defense, remarkable, fantastic. Um, Man, that offense really struggling. And guys, that's a, I, I say this with nothing. I'm not I'm not saying this in any way, um, assuming that Chris Kleiman is, you know, done anything to make anybody mad at K-State. But when he came to K-State, my thought was, okay, not only has he built a program in middle America, but he's also gotten great quarterbacks to come in. He's found guys that maybe weren't well-known. He's developed them. They've had these great offenses. Look out. Here comes a coach at K-State that can coach up offense. This is going to be transformational for the Wildcats. We have yet to see Chris Kleiman do that at K-State. To me, that's that's one of those sort of I don't quite get it um, things about the state of college football right now. I just I really thought by now we'd see that side of Chris Kleiman's you know fingerprints coming through. Um, who knows? Maybe K-State will come to Norman this week and score like 40 points. I don't think so. But that is a really interesting development that even with the quarterback that they felt like in Adrian Martinez could take that offense to the next level, we still haven't seen it out of K-State. So I've got Oklahoma winning by a couple touchdowns.
2: Yeah, what about, what about you, Justin? What, uh, I don't know if you've got a score
1: picked out yet, but uh, how do you see this game uh, playing out? Yeah, I, I'd probably go OU about 27-14. You know, for for similar reasons as Jenny, I just I haven't seen a whole lot out of this this Kansas State offense that was encouraging, especially last week against Tulane. Um, just Adrian Martinez from people that I've talked to um, around the, you know, in the Kansas State world, seems like they haven't been too impressed with just how I guess his, his lack of risk taking. He seems like he hasn't really let it fly as much as maybe they hope to hasn't been as dynamic of a player as maybe they hope to uh, to get when they brought him over from Nebraska. Obviously, Deuce Vaughn is going to be someone that is oh, going to have to focus on, and I'm sure he's going to have a great performance because he can only do so much to to limit a guy like that. But at the end of the day, I, just, I don't see the offense being able to do too much. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, Kansas State's defense is going to give some problems. It's going to be the biggest test for, for OU so far. Um, they got a, a defensive end in uh, Felix Sanadike Uzoma. Uzoma. I'm sorry, that's a mouthful to pronounce. Um, but he, this is a guy who had 11 sacks last season, you know, and he's back in the mix and he's definitely going to provide a real test for OU, OU's offensive line. Um, the defense in general has seven interceptions, which is is tied for the second most in the nation. So, I mean, they fly around on the field and and really make life difficult. So that'll be a big test for Dylan Gabriel, who doesn't have an interception yet this season. We'll see if he can continue that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for OU, but at the end of the day, just from what I saw from OU against Nebraska and what I saw from Kansas State against Tulane, um, I just I think OU is going to be able to win this one by a few touchdowns as well.
2: Yeah, and I I picked OU to win this game thirty-five to seventeen. I just think uh, yeah, everything that both of y'all said is correct. Uh, Kansas State's offense hasn't been you know what some of us thought it would be. Uh, going into the year, uh, I don't think Adrian Martinez has been horrible, but hasn't been fantastic. Uh, Deuce Vaughn has been great at times. Uh, you know, I think they want to get him more involved in the passing game. We saw the passing game with him be such a big key for them last year uh, in, in this game when he had 10 catches, I think, uh, against the Sooners. you know, We'll see if that's a, a bigger part of it. But um, I, I just think OU's defense, the way it's playing right now, the confidence it's playing with, uh, up front is going to make life difficult on Adrian Martinez, uh, help out that back end uh, in, in protecting against the pass. We haven't seen any of those big-time coverage breakdowns that have been sort of the the uh, norm uh, for the Sooners in recent years. And then offensively, I think Dylan Gabriel, just the way that he's been able to protect the ball. And it's not just that interception number being zero. It's the way that he's done it. You know, even the passes that he's not completing, he is uh, not putting them in a position to uh, turn the ball over, and I, I think that that's really important. And and Kansas State has taken advantage of those things uh, this season. Seven interceptions for them. All of their turnovers coming via the interception. But we'll see if the Sooners are able to uh, maintain that streak on uh, on uh, Saturday and stay out of the interception column for uh, what would be the uh, fourth consecutive game. But uh, we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra uh, Twitter space podcast, however you're uh, consuming it. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to listen. We'll be back uh, late night after the game on Saturday with uh, reactions to uh, the Sooners game against the Wildcats. That uh, that game kicks off at 7 o'clock on Fox. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best OU coverage anywhere. Just gonna run this
0: dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.